the truer Adam. Adam blew it in the garden. Jesus confirmed his mission in the garden of Gethsemane when he sweated great drops of blood, when he said to, the, to God his Father, God, if this cup can pass from me, uh, I'd really like that. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. It was there that he sealed our fate, set his face as a flint to the cross, and went to the cross, a brutal death, died, buried, risen on the third day, in resurrection, life, and power, defeating sin, shame, guilt, and death. Amen? Seated at the right hand of God now, interceding for us, praying for us, interceding on our behalf that we'll make it. The Holy Spirit ministering the prayers of Christ, manifesting Christ and his power and his resources and his wonder to us on a, on a daily basis. The Bible says that there are mercies that meet us and they are new every morning. Isn't that awesome? Did you feel merciful when you woke up this morning? How many woke up cranky? Come on. Okay. All right. Anybody else that were, was lying there? If you want to raise your hand now, you can. No, I'm just kidding. The Bible says that the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. His grace and his mercies are new every morning to minister to us the wonder of who he is. Amen? We struggle, we fall, we get down. But that's why Jesus got down so low. He knows what we're going through. In all points, like as we, he was, he was tempted. But yet, he knows about us. He is our great high priest. He's a high priest that knows about your situation and your circumstance now. And he's going to see you through. The Bible says that we are more than overcomers. Not that we are, but Christ overcame. And now our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Amen? We are more than victors because of what Christ has done overwhelming victory, Hooper Nikeo, super victors because of the victory that Christ won on the cross to defeat our shame, to defeat our guilt, to bring us into this wonderful relationship of intimacy and relationship with God Almighty, God the Creator, God our Redeemer, God our Healer, God our Deliverer. Amen? God was thinking about us way, way back. And He knows and sees you right here this morning. And he knows you. Knows every hair on your head. He knows every hair you lost. I didn't mean to look at you, Marty, when I said that. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, he knows every hair that was light brown that turned to gray. He knows every wrinkle on your face. He knows everything that you've been through. He knows everything that you're going to go through. And the Bible says that he has sent the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, to come up alongside of us, to minister to us, to embrace us and hold us, to comfort us, to counsel us, to show us truth, to show us love, to be the overcoming power in our hearts and in our lives. Christ said that apart from him, we can do nothing. Amen? So if you're battling on your own this morning, you're about to do nothing for yourself. Amen? We battle with the presence and the word and the truth and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, we thank you today for your word. We love it. We thank you for the life that it gives to us. 
We thank you that the entrance of your word giveth light. You prayed, Lord, sanctify us with your word, for your word is truth. And God, we will acknowledge the truth today, and the truth of God will set us free. So we thank you, Lord, for your truth. I need truth in my life. I need to apply it to my life. I need to recognize it. I need to acknowledge it. And I need to, I need to state that all truth is found in Christ, and it can set us free. So, Lord, we thank you for Noah. What a guy. What a guy. But we're going to find out it's really what a God. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 1. And then from 1, flip over to Genesis chapter 6, okay? Genesis chapter 6. We're going to start reading from the first uh, verse. Genesis chapter 6. How many have heard of the story of Noah and the ark before? Okay. How many of you, maybe when you were kids, had placemats of Noah and the ark? Amen. How many of you had um, cookie jars that were Noah's ark? How many of you were in Sunday school when, way back when we had the old flannel board, remember? And the teacher would slap up the ark and... And slap up all the animals, and we got a few pictures that we'll show right now of um, the ark and Noah and the animals, and it's a lovely, lovely sight, isn't it? Look at those animals, huh? Amen. And look at that one. And then there's the next one. Noah doesn't have a nose in that one. Wow. Okay. Yeah. You know, when you, when you really read the, the Word of God, um, the true sense of the Word of God comes out. In our society, we, we like to tone down stuff because we have to deal with life and death. But the story of Noah and the ark is an incredible, horrific story of sin, of judgment, but yet of the grace and the mercy of God to keep his covenant flowing. So as we read these, these verses, let's really take in what the true sense of what God was going through and what Noah was going through, what the world was, was going through at this time in, in history. And we'll read it from uh, verse 1, chapter 6 and verse 1. Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. They took wives for themselves, whomever, whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. 
The Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart, grieved in his spirit. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor, which is the word grace, which is used first time in the Bible, grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. The first thing we we see about the times that Noah is living in is that they were evil. That's a pretty bad, bad statement, a harsh statement, isn't it true? That every intent of man was evil. There are stories in the Bible that kind of coagulate together, that kind of mix together. Episodes in the Bible, they kind of echo each other, and such echoes are seldom coincidental. For example, the word used for Noah's Ark is the same used for the basket in which Moses was saved on the Nile River. Implying a link between the stories of Moses and Noah, both of them divinely chosen saviors in a world threatened by water and chaos. In both cases, the ark is the divine means of escape God has provided for his chosen people. In Genesis, mankind was to be destroyed by a flood of water. The ark saw to it that Noah and his family would be saved by placing them safely in a teva, or an ark, to protect them from the flood waters. In Exodus, all Israelite male babies were to be killed by being drowned in the Nile, but God saw to it that Moses, through his providential care, would be saved and would be the savior of Israel, the people of Israel, by placing him in a teva to ride atop the water. Using water and an ark, God is showing us two parallel patterns of salvation. The first pattern is Genesis, is saving mankind in general. The second pattern in Exodus is saving the people of Israel, the Hebrews. So in these last days, who or what is our teva? Who is our ark? Jesus, Amen. What can we rely on 100% to rescue us from our worries, rescue us from our sin, rescue us from our shame, great destruction, the judgment, the wrath of God, is Jesus, Yeshua, our Lord and Savior. Noah received God's gift of righteousness by believing in the grace of God that was relied and bestowed upon him. It's interesting how the the world looks at uh, the stories of the Bible. Isn't it true? If you talk about uh, somebody that's in the world that doesn't know Christ and you bring up Noah in the ark, <laughs> usually you get a little like, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's mythological. It's a story. It's allegory. Um, this is what w- Wikipedia says. The Genesis flood narrative is a flood myth found in the chapters of Genesis 6 to 9. This story tells of God's decision to return the earth to its pre-creation state of watery chaos and then remake it in a reversal of creation. The narrative has very strong similarities to parts of the epic of Gilmamesh, which predates the book of Genesis. Scientists have unsuccessfully attempted to reconcile the flood narrative with physical findings in geology and paleontology. Boo-hoo. Amen? But I'm going to say, oh, really? 
Everybody say, oh, really? One more time. Oh, really? Listen to this. The story of Noah's Ark and the Great Flood is one of the most famous from the Bible. And now an acclaimed underwater archaeologist thinks he has found proof that the biblical flood was actually based on real events. Everybody say, oh, really? In an interview with Christian Amanpour for ABC News, Robert Ballard, one of the world's best-known underwater archaeologists, talked about his findings. His team is probing the depths of the Black Sea off the coast of Turkey in search of traces of an ancient civilization hidden underwater since the time of Noah. Ballard's track record for finding the impossible is well known. In 1985, using a robotic submersible submarine equipped with remote-controlled cameras, Ballard and his crew hunted down the world's famous shipwreck, which is the Titanic. Now Ballard, Ballard is using even more advanced robotic technology to travel farther back in time. He is on a marine archaeological mission that might support the story of Noah. He said some 12,000 years ago, much of the world was covered in ice. Where I live in Connecticut was ice a mile above my house all the way back to the North Pole. But then it started to melt. We're talking about the floods of our living history. The water from the melting glaciers began to rush toward the world's oceans, Ballard said, causing floods all over the world. The question is, was there a mother of all floods? Ballard said, according to a controversial theory, controversial because it blows the minds of people that don't want controversy in their false beliefs, okay? By the two Columbia University scientists, there really was in the Black Sea region. They believe that the now salty Black Sea was once an isolated freshwater lake surrounded by farmland until it was flooded by an enormous wall of water from the rising Mediterranean Sea. The force of the water was 200 times that of Niagara Falls, sweeping away everything in its path. Fascinated, fascinated by the idea, Ballard and his team decided to investigate. We went in there to look for the flood, not just a slow-moving, advancing rise of sea level, but a really big flood that stayed, the land that went under, most of it stayed under. 400 feet below the surface, they unearthed an ancient shoreline proof to Ballard that a catastrophic event did happen in the Black Sea by carbon dating shells found along the shoreline. Ballard said he believes they have established a timeline for that catastrophic event, which he estimates happened around 5000 BC. Everybody say, oh, really? Some experts believe that this was around the time when Noah's flood could have occurred. One more oh really together. Oh really? Well, isn't that something? It probably was a bad day, Ballard said. At some magic moment it broke through and flooded this place violently and a lot of real estate went under. As long as we're along this path of science and creation and God's word, there's so many recoveries and discoveries of what God has done in the word of God that's being found out all over the world. It's cool. It's nice. But we already knew it because we read the word of God. Amen? This stuff is just icing on the cake for us solidifies our belief that God is who he is and what he says is true 
And the Word of God is the authoritative Word of God inspired by God. God breathed Word of God, and we thank God for it. You know what he was doing when he was writing the Word of God? 1,400 years, over 40 authors, the scarlet thread of redemption through every story and every book tells about this wonderful grace of Christ that saved us and redeemed us. Check out this cool video. Cosmos in the universe. Amen? God monkeyed around. I like that. The story of Noah and the ark firstly speaks to us about the terrible depravity of men and women. The Bible says that there was wickedness in such a great extent and that every intent of the thoughts of their heart was only evil. Human wickedness was rampant. And the wickedness hurt and grieved the heart of God because God understands what sin does. Sin destroys a life. Sin brings selfishness. Sin brings emotional heartache. Sin brings separation. Sin brings an alienation from God. And we're left to our own devices. And when left to our own devices, as you well know, we get into some deep, deep trouble, don't we? Because we don't have a foundation, a truth. We don't have the know-how or the tools, really, to, to live our lives. We're, we're based on emotion and, and based on feelings and based on what we think is right. Most of it is done by trial and error for a lot of people. And uh, as they face their elder years, they realize that uh, there was more error involved in their choices than, than good things that came out. The story of Noah relates to us the depravity of men and women. One thing you got to know, guys, is that uh, we were depraved. We were dead in our sins and dead in our trespasses, dead in our brokenness, dead in our sin, dead in our shame. And Jesus Christ has won the victory over death, grave, sin, and the shame. Sin hurts the heart of God, and it killed and crushed his son. That's how much... Sin hurts the heart of God. Whenever you wonder where your sin is going to lead you, always think about the cross of Christ and how Christ came and how God the Father sent him. The Bible says that it was God's will to crush him, to bruise him, to pierce him, to cause him to die so that we sitting here now can have eternal life. Whom to know is life eternal, and that's Jesus Christ. Amen? So when you think about your sin and you're, you're thinking about straying off of the path of God, His Word and righteousness, think about where sin will lead you. It led Christ to the cross, the horror of the cross, the wonder of the cross because of God's love and His grace. And you know what? My sin put Him there. Your sin put Him there. It wasn't Adam's. It was the whole world. We know that God, through Christ, bore the sin of the whole world upon his shoulders. He was the lamb that was sacrificed from the foundation of the world, that he would win our salvation and gain our access back to God. Amen? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, there's this awesome, awesome verse. 
that goes a little like this. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. We'll start with verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Beautiful picture of what Christ has done on the cross as he stamped the life out of the enemy who has no power over our lives but the power that we give to him and we yield to him today. Our authority is in Christ Jesus. Amen? All authority and power has been given to us through Christ Jesus. The only authority we give the devil is to allow him to to deceive us from the truth so that we live out this falseness, this falsehood, a false fixed delusion of what we can be without Christ and his blood and his salvation. The story of Noah is a horrific scene of what sin can do to our lives. We understand what sin can do, can't, don't we? You've experienced it, you know it, the choices that you've made have brought pain and destruction and sorrow upon your lives, broken relationships. But you know what? Christ, since early on, Decided to win back and redeem all that brokenness. Redeem the pain. Redeem the emotional hurt. Redeem the, 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 the mental illness and the mental struggle. Give us a renewed mind and a refocused heart back to God with all of His love and all of His grace that He can minister to us through the sin of our lives. He takes all the brokenness, mixes it up in a big, big bowl throws in the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and outgrows this wonderful, wonderful, wonderful life that is lived for the glory and the grace of God. Isn't it something? That God changes our life for His glory and His honor. And that was the covenant with Adam, that he would destroy the work of the enemy and the enemy would hurt the heel of the Savior and cause him to die. The flood is also a story about God's judgment. Isn't it true? Um, back in my day when I was growing up, woo, it was hell and brimstone and fire. You're going to hell in a handbasket. And as a young kid, I was like, oh, run to the altar, amen? Run to the altar. We've kind of got off that message of judgment. Off the message of wrath. But the Bible says that the wrath of God is going to be revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. There is judgment time that is coming. Is this a harsh verdict? Not really. The holy, just, righteous God cannot dwell with sin. He's got to deal with it. He can't tolerate it. He has to punish it. The soul that sins, it shall die. When we read the story of Noah, we forget about the unbelievable loss of life. 
Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He received the grace of God. He understood that he deserved death as well as everyone else, but God chose him. God revealed his grace to him. And for 120 years, he built that ark. And for 120 years, he preached this righteous message of repentance and get back to God. Nobody, nobody turned to him. 120 years, he suffered wrath. He suffered uh, human indignation, mockery, and scorn. But he kept building because he realized the grace of God. This is the wonder about the grace of God, friends. The grace of God is sufficient for you today to bring you through 120 years of pain and suffering and hardship. Amen? Whatever you're going through today, he has the grace that will meet you where you are, give you and equip you with this wonderful, wonderful power of the working grace of God to minister to us and to minister to our hearts and lives today. The terrible loss of life. We normally, like I said, deal with the beautiful boat and the adorable animals. We forget the great floodwaters beneath it. Beneath the rails of Noah's ark were drowning sinners, real people entering a dreadful eternity apart from God. And I bet he heard the cries. He heard the banging. Children, women, and men that knew their destiny and understood the choices that they made and knew the judgment and the wrath that they heard for 120 years. The flood is this awesome revelation of love and mercy. God planned that the Savior would come and Noah was found and he received this grace in the eyes of the Lord. It was a free gift. See, when I was young, and maybe you, I was told in Sunday school and church that no, you have to be like Noah because he was perfectly righteous and he met all of God's standards of righteousness. And God saw him and said, hey, I approve of you, boy. You meet my standards of righteousness. And that was kind of the way we, we always heard about it. You got to be like Joseph. You got to be like David killing, killing Goliath, you know. And as a nine-year-old boy, I'm thinking... That dude was tall. I'm probably going to need a little help with that. But there's this idea of moral behavior and moral deism. We, we, we create this morality that we have to, we have to be good and we have, to, we have to be righteous and we have to strive and we have to perform and we have to do all the things that one day maybe God will look down on us like Noah and David and Joseph and one day maybe we'll just feel approved of God and God will say, I choose you. From the eons of time, you were enemies of God, you were sinners, you were helpless, and you were powerless. And God says, I choose you. Choose you in your brokenness. I know all the sin that you have. I know all the sin that you did to people. And all the brokenness that you caused. But you know what? I choose you. Because I love you. This is the wonder of God's love. And of God's grace. See, grace is undeserved, it's unmerited, it's unearned. It's the loving kindness of God. It's the enabling power for us, working in us, 
working out God's passion to fulfill God's purposes. We get to be a part of the great plan of redemption as we allow the grace of God to change us on the inside and realize the purpose and destiny that God has for us. The story of Noah and the ark is a wonderful precursor of the ultimate salvation God one day would provide in Christ. Long after the flood was subsided, guess what? People began to sin again. The human race would continue in its sinful rebellion, and God would continue to require the just penalty of sin and death. But the next time, instead of providing an ark, God would provide His Son. One act, He would open the door of salvation for not one family, but for the whole entire world. Now, what are we going to do? Noah built an ark out of wood to save mankind. Jesus died a criminal's death, cursed on a tree made of wood that he would bring salvation to the whole world. Deuteronomy teaches us that a divine curse was placed on a person that hung on a tree. Most capital offenses covered by Jewish law, stoning was the form of punishment. On many occasions, the dead body would be hung in public as a deterrent for further crime. The Apostle Paul referred to this law in relationship to Jesus and his death on the cross. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus was cursed for us. Hanging on the cross, naked, with the shame as a substitute for our sins. Another interesting detail is the cross of Christ was sometimes referred to in Jewish context as a tree. A tree was involved in the entry of sin into humanity. In answer to sin for humanity through the cross, and the ultimate removal of sin in eternity through the tree of life. Jesus died on a tree that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Noah and his family had to enter through the door, amen, of that ark for salvation and deliverance. Guess what? Jesus says that he is the door. Any and everyone that enters in will have eternal life. Jesus in that context was speaking about his sheep, In those days, a sheep pen would not have a door, but the shepherd would become the door, would protect, would provide, would be the sacrifice if need be to protect his sheep. Jesus Christ is the door. The Bible says there is no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved but by the name of Jesus. Amen? When you face Christ face-to-face. He's not going to talk to your church attendance. He's not going to talk to you about tithing. He's not going to talk to you about how you witnessed and how you, how you lived your life. He's going to talk to you about what you thought of him and if you trusted him for your salvation. Amen? He's going to say, well, good, thou good and faithful servant. Come on in. You know why? Because I know you. I know your name. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Come on in. 
for those that just get into religious activity without dealing with their heart issue of sin and depravity. They come before God, and God says through Christ at the judgment seat, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I don't know you. There'll be people that heal. There'll be people that preach the word of God. There'll be people that give thousands and millions of money to Christian organizations, attend church every day, every Sunday, maybe go Wednesday, do all kinds of ministry. They'll come to Christ and they'll, they'll be told, depart from me because I never knew you. The question is today, do you know Jesus Beautiful thing is that God made a covenant with Noah. When God makes a covenant, he sticks to it. Amen? Aren't you glad for that? Genesis chapter 9, verse 9 to 17 says this. Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, with every living creature that is within you, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the, the earth with you. As many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Amen? God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For all future generations, I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you. And every living creature of all flesh and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. Isn't it wonderful to see a beautiful rainbow? You know, the rainbow of God has been distorted and claimed by various folks. That's okay. You can do, do with what you want with that. But the bow, the rainbow, is a symbol of God's war bow. Made a covenant with Noah, and he put the rainbow in the sky. The wrath and anger of God is no longer facing down towards us, but the bow is facing up towards God. Amen? It was a sign that one day Jesus Christ would take the bow of God's wrath the bow of God's anger, the bow of humiliation and sorrow. And he would take the arrow of God's wrath so that we might live in total freedom. And every time we see the rainbow, it's a picture that God will not flood the earth, but also that Jesus Christ has paid the price and the wrath went all the way up to heaven. And Jesus paid the debt. Jesus is the covenant between God and man. Jesus didn't make a covenant. Here's the thing. He is the covenant. Amen? Every time that we take communion, when we partake of the bread and we drink the blood, Jesus said, this is in memory of me and my death for you that you might have life. We lift up the bread, symbolizing the brokenness, the broken body of Christ that was bruised and wounded for our transgressions. We lift up the cup of the blood of Christ. The blood of the Lamb that washes away every sin and every stain cleanses our conscience from guilt so that we can live in this wonderful relationship of knowing Jesus Christ. Every time you see a rainbow, 
Every time you see a rainbow, understand that God paid the price for you. God paid it in full. The arrow of the wrath of God was taken by Jesus Christ on that cross. And now you walk in freedom. Amen? Isn't that great? So, what do we do now? What do we do? We live in such a way as to bring glory and honor to the one that we love by our thoughts, by our actions. We walk in this newness of life. The Bible speaks about putting off the old nature. Amen? Putting off the old nature. Okay? I got this thing on me, man. It's the old nature. Sorry, but still, I, now I got this new nature, and I'm walking around <laughs> proud, try not to look down here, proud of what God has done in my heart and in my life. I wear the wardrobe of the grace and the love of Christ, right? Now people see me. They see the glory and the wonder of what Christ has done because he's taken my heart and my life and he's made me a brand new creation. Old things are past. All things that become new in Christ Jesus. Now let's live like we got this wonderful wardrobe of the mercy and the grace of God in our hearts and in our lives. Amen? Here, I want to... Noah lived 120 years building that ark. He did it through the grace of God. And he walked in righteousness. He took God at his word. Hebrews tells us that he was an heir of righteousness by faith. Amen? By faith. We live this life by faith and trust in the wonderful, wonderful word of God. Noah lived his life through grace. And now, I don't know what you have in the future. I don't know what is coming up in your 120 years. But let's live this life for the glory and honor of God. Amen? We have to preach this message. The Bible says now that we are ministers of reconciliation. Preaching to people. Living a life that's worthy of God's glory and honor. And we're telling people, come back to God. Amen? Amen. I want to tell you that... For you to truly live in this grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, get your eyes off of yourself. Understand what Christ has done. Realize that your sins are forgiven. And now turn your gaze towards the future that God wants to use you for his glory and honor. Focus on Christ and Christ alone. Amen? When the enemy comes against you to slander you or accuse you, say, whoa, 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 take it easy. That's negative, baby. That's negative. I'm going to take what Jesus Christ has called me to, a life of freedom, a life of victory, a life of unashamed glory and honor. What are you going to do with this story now? Jesus is the true and better Noah. He is the ark. He is the covenant. He is the door. He's our all in all. And he is the wonder of our salvation.
Grasp him today. Know him today. Understand him today. And know that whatever flood comes your way, he's got a way out, amen? He's got a provision for you so that you can walk into his wonder and glory today. What do you need from Jesus today? He wants to minister to you. He wants to change your heart. He wants to set you free. And when you walk out of those doors today, you'll be a new creation, walking in the covenant love of Jesus Christ, our great God and our Savior. Amen.